Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here today. Um, we're going to be continuing our study of the uh, book of Revelation this morning. And uh, we're going to read all of chapter 10. So when you find Revelation chapter 10, would you please stand for reading God's word? All right, Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded, and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God will be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me, saying, Go. Take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we thank you for gathering us here today. Thank you for the revelation that you've given us here, Lord, in written form. Um, your, your will, your plan, your glory um, made known to us in the pages of Scripture. And indeed, in the person of Jesus Christ, the one through whom you are working all of these things and bringing all of these things to pass. Lord, we are so thankful for salvation in Christ. We're so thankful, Lord, for words of assurance and comfort uh, intended to, to strengthen us and, and uh, impart um, endurance to us as we live in this present age. Lord, we're, we're thankful that you saw fit to make these things known to your people, to your servants, for our good, and to teach us how we may live in this world for your honor and glory. Lord, help us today to rightly grasp this passage that we're looking at, to rightly uh, interpret, rightly understand, and, and indeed to rightly imp, uh, apply it in our lives. Lord, we want to be affected by the gospel in such a way that our lives are transformed to bring you glory and honor. And all of these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Okay. I'm going to break this down into two two main categories, but I I want to... Try to deal with the imagery a little bit, and then and then go back and, and let's talk about um, what we're to glean from it, the ap- the application. But but the two the two categories are this, and I'm just doing it the way it's 
broken down here in the, uh, in the Scripture, actually. Uh, so the first one's going to be a, uh, what I'm going to call a vision of glory. And, and that's the vision with the mighty angel. The first part of this, uh, this uh, vision that John is seeing, um, or this, this aspect of it. And then secondly, a command to receive and proclaim the Word of God. Or you could put the message of God or something like that. A, a command to receive and proclaim the message of God. And that, of course, is dealing with the, the little scroll, um, which uh, is talked about here in verses 8 through 11. So just, just trying to break it down the way the paragraphs are done here, the way, the way uh, he's done it, uh, actually the way it was given to John. So the first seven verses pretty much dealing with the mighty angel and then the remainder dealing with the, the little scroll that the angel has in his hand and what, what John is told to do with it. All right, so let's, let's go back. And, and before we even get into talking about um, application or, or exhortation that we might receive from it, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the imagery because that, that's, that is one of the... That's what always kind of gets our mind, isn't it? What do all these things mean? And, and, uh, and I've, I know I'm kind of repeating myself here, but, uh, but I'll just say it again. Well, my main emphasis is going to be on the things that we know, and there are a lot of things here that we don't know. But I'm, I'm going to throw out some things to you that, um, uh, at, at, from time to time that you know, different interpretations. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm going to give you a little bit here and how I see it as well. But, um, so we're starting with the mighty angel, right? Verse 1, John says, I saw another mighty angel, and presumably what he means there is um, in addition to the seven who are blowing the trumpets. You know, you've got the seven who are sounding the trumpets, but now he's seeing another mighty angel. He calls him a strong or strong, strong angel or mighty angel coming down from heaven. And here's how he describes him, just as Joel just read. We'll, we'll read it again. Wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he, sat, he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. So, so here's, the, here's the description. He's wrapped in a cloud, got a rainbow over his head, his face is like the sun, his legs are like pillars of fire, and then he speaks, and it's like the roaring of a lion. It's a pretty awesome um, picture, right? He's got one foot on the earth, one foot on the sea, and and he's standing there in this this imagery, face like the sun, legs like fire. Uh, pretty awesome picture, and that's exactly what it's intended to be, regardless of how you interpret the individual things. Like, well, what are the, what is legs like fire? What does that mean? What does face like the sun mean? Regardless of how you interpret those things. Um, this is a pretty awesome picture, isn't it? I mean, it's intended to convey um, awesomeness, majesty, glory, power. He's called a strong angel, a mighty angel. Now, who is this angel? Well, just to give you an idea, as I've said many times, there's so many varying opinions on on uh, a lot of the interpretations of the imagery in Revelation. Um, one thing, um, a 
start to say we, we pretty much agree on, but it, sometimes that's not even true. But, one, but I think probably for the most part, one thing we agree on is that a lot of this is imagery. In other words, it's not intended to be taken literally. So, so then we just have to, you know, um, try to discern, well, what then does it represent? What does it mean? Well, just to give you an example of, as I said, there are wide varieties of opinions here. Um, I was looking at George, Allen, George uh, L. and Ladd's commentary, and um, he gives some reasons. He says this cannot be Jesus. I mean, it says it's, it's an angel, and, and then he gives some other reasons why he doesn't think this, this can be Jesus. One, for example, he, he lifts his hand and, and swears by the one who lives forever and ever, so he says that would be... Uh, you know, he's, he's swearing by the Lord, so it can't be the Lord. Although, you know, the uh, writer of Hebrews certainly says that God swears by himself. <laughs> so, so I don't know about that logic. Um, and then you go to Matthew Henry's commentary, and he seems pretty convinced that this is Jesus. Although he doesn't say it, um, you know, with... with Definitely, like like he's entirely convinced, but but he seemed pretty convinced. So, so that's just an idea. Is the, the ranges you've got here, um, and and he's you know he just thinks the description it, it's it's too much like, for example, the the uh, the description that we have back in chapter one of the glorified Christ. There we know it's definitely talk about talking about the glorified Christ. I was also comparing it to um, Ezekiel's um, vision. I'll give you a little bit of that in a moment. But, it, you know, there's, there's some similarities there. Um, so it, it does, when you're reading down through here, it, it sounds like, well, this must be Jesus. But then there are some things that make it sound like, no, no, that, like, like George last said, no, it doesn't seem to line up, doesn't seem like it can be. Well, let me give you a third uh, option. And, and I'm going I'm to put this in question form, as I said, okay, because I, I can't say this for sure. But, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm comparing and I'm looking at passages... Could, could it not be that this is just a personification of the glory of God? In other words, that the, the whole intent of it is just, is just to put a, put a picture in our minds to convey to us the power and glory of God. Now, um, don't lose your place here, but, but turn with me over to Ezekiel. Chapter two, and I'll, I'll, I'll grant you, or, or maybe you can call this a confession. We, we, we don't do near enough of this because um, to to get any kind of, of, of grasp on the the imagery and revelation, you you have to have um, knowledge of the Old Testament, especially the prophetic uh, books of the Old Testament, because that's where he's pulling it from. That's where this imagery, imagery is coming from. And this is an example of that here where, where, uh, where Ezekiel is given a vision of the glory of God. In, uh, in chapter 2, actually, actually in, in, uh, I'm going I'm to read a little bit out of chapter 2 and maybe chapter 3, but, but really this, these whole first couple chapters, what he's doing here is talking about a, a, a vision that was given to him and and he's, it starts out with him seeing uh, the glory of God. Look at this description. Go down to verse chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 26. 
after he describes these wheels within a wheel, and you can go back and read that on your own if you want to, and, and the, the, uh, the four creatures that are moving around, which again is, is, is similar uh, in one sense to the four creatures we've talked about earlier in the book of Revelation. And, and, and there are some similarities. I'm not saying they're necessarily the same, but there are some similarities. And after describing some of these, some of these things that are so strange to us that Ezekiel sees in his vision... He says in verse 26, And above the expanse, over their heads, that is over the heads of the, of the angelic beings, the, 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 uh, the living creatures, he calls them, over their heads was the likeness of a throne in appearance, like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, in other words, from his waist up, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward, from what had the appearance of his waist, so from waist down, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. That's just some pretty strong similarities there, right? Even, even the description of sapphire around the throne we've seen earlier in Revelation. So there are a lot of similarities here. Verse 28, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. All right, there again, that's, John is seeing that uh, above his head. John says in Revelation 10, was the rainbow. And Ezekiel sees that here, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. So, he's, so uh, all of this sapphire, fire, the, the rainbow and brightness all around, and that, that's, that's the whole imagery, all of this, all of this uh, brightness. And then he says, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. In other words, it seems to me that what Ezekiel is saying is, after he describes this thing that he's seeing the best that he can, he refers to it as the glory of the Lord. He says, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard a voice of one speaking, the voice of one speaking, again, uh, as John does as well. You may, you may want to keep a finger there also, because we'll, we'll come back to that. But so it, so it seems to me, in fact, I think I'm right about this, regardless of what other interpretation you take. And in other words, what I'm saying is this. Um, whatever the angel is, some, some understand it to be a literal angel. In fact, George Ladd says in his commentary, you know, we, we see how big he is here because he's got one foot on land and one foot on sea. Um, and, and again, I, I think that's just imagery just to convey a message regarding God's power and rule. He is, he is Lord over the whole earth, land and sea. In fact, we're, we're gonna, we see that in the text, right? He says, when he swears by the one who lives forever and ever, that he created all things on the earth and the land. And, and we've seen it before, too. In heaven, under the earth, God is creator of all. So I think the main thing here is that he's, he, he, what he's communicating here is, is uh, some glimpse of, some vision of the glory of God. And by the way, and one reason I say I think I'm, I'm, I'm right on that, no matter 
what interpretation you take. Because even if this is a literal angel, I, I think that that would be the main purpose of it, ultimately, is to, to reveal God's power and glory. Or, if it's the glorified Christ, like Matthew Henry seemed to think, then certainly that's what's being communicated here, right? It's Christ in His power and glory. And that is central to the book of Revelation anyway. It, it's repeatedly... Well, I don't even want to say it like that, because it's not like it, 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 it reminds us of the power and glory of God, and then it goes on to something else, and then it repeats again... The power and the glory of God goes on to something else. No, it, that, that is the thread all the way through here, as well as the gospel. You know, the whole idea in the book really is that God is bringing us to the goal that He has promised in the gospel. We're safe. We talked before about being safe in Christ. Safe, sealed, as a matter of fact, going into tribulation. That is, when we live out in this world. Coming out on the other side, safe, right? We saw that in the, in the, the multitude, uh, the innumerable multitude. They come out of tribulation, safe. And that's because we're in Christ. That's because of the gospel. So, so th- those things are central. The gospel is central to understanding the book. Uh, the, the, the manifestation of the glory of God, central to the book. In other words, we ought to be seeing that all the way all the way through here. So I, so I think that's a, um, the main thing that's going on here. It's like a, uh, or it seems to me it might even be a personification of God's glory. Maybe not a literal angel at all. Uh, maybe not the Lord Jesus Christ. But just a way of describing this vision of the glory of God. Similar to what Ezekiel does uh, in, in Ezekiel 1 that we just read a few moments ago. Now what does he do in verse 5? Um, well, I'll tell you what, let's do this. I'll come back to that. Let's, let's go to the imagery in the second part for a moment. And, uh, in verse 8, it says, Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So here's the angel standing on the sea and on the land. He's got his hand lifted up, his right hand, to heaven. And verse 6 says, Swearing by him who, who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it. So here he is standing there doing this. Now, the, what is the scroll that is in his hand? John, John focuses his attention on that. And he says in verse 9, So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And I'm, I'm reading from the English Standard Version here, and you might have noticed that it translates it little scroll. And uh, that's because this is a different word. Um, it's related, but it's different. Different word than we saw back in... Chapter four, when he when he sees the one sitting on the throne who has the scroll in his hand, chapters four and five. Um, here, this is a different word, so it's translated little scroll. In fact, one um, comment that I was reading on it said they think the word was coined by John because they haven't found it anywhere else. Uh, so, so it, it is a form of um, the term book or scroll uh, that means little scroll. So I'm just pointing that out because I want to differentiate it from the one we've been dealing with these last several weeks. The, the, the one, remember God, the one sitting on the throne with a scroll in His hand, sealed with seven seals. And we've been going through the, the breaking of the seven seals. All right? So this is another scroll, a little scroll, in addition to that one that we've been talking about. And he says, He went and to the angel and 
told him to give him the scroll in verse 9. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. That's strange, isn't it? The book, the scroll. And he says, Take it and eat it. And then verse 10, I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel, ate it, it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter, just like he said, right? So what is the little scroll? All right, you still got your finger in Ezekiel? I mean, let me just give you a, a couple things here um, from the passage we were just at. This time we are looking at chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. Now, long story short here in this vision that Ezekiel is having, um, he, he is being instructed to preach the Word. This is kind of like Paul saying to Timothy, except this is coming to you know, a vision of God. He's speaking to, and God is speaking to Ezekiel in the form of a vision. And he's saying, preach the Word. Right? Um, in fact, he says, in verse, look at chapter 2, verse 5. Whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. Whether they hear or refuse to hear, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So in other words, whether, whether they ref- hear or whether they don't, speak the word. Speak the word. Then again, um, look at verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. So again, the Lord says, um, whether they hear or not, you are going to speak my words. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked down, and when I looked, rather, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and I beheld a scroll of a book was in it, that is, it was in the hand. Verse 10, And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. So, the Lord says to Ezekiel, you, You're going to speak my words, whether they hear or whether they don't hear. You don't be rebellious like them. You go and do what I'm telling you to do. Eat whatever I give to you. And he's, and he's talking about his words, right? And then this hand appears and it's got the scroll in it. And uh, Ezekiel sees the scroll and he says it was written on the front and on the back. And it is words of lamentation and mourning and woe. So in other words, what the scroll represents here in Ezekiel is the Word of God. And in particular, oracle, unoracle or oracles of woe that he describes as um, lamentation and mourning and woe. So, he's talking to him about speaking the Word, and, and in particular, it's not just any word, uh, but here in particular, it's a word of judgment, right? You're, you're going you're gonna to preach lamentation, mourning, and woe to these people. What if they don't like that? <laughs> well, he says, you're going to do it anyway. Whether they hear or whether they don't. In other words, what if, what if they don't repent, Lord? 
whether they repent or whether they don't. This is what you're going you're gonna to give them. Interestingly, and I'm not going to take time to turn there. You can check this out on yourself, for yourself. But this is really the same thing that happens with Isaiah in chapter 6. And a lot of times today people talk about that context, you know, because Isaiah winds up saying, the Lord says, who will go for me? Who shall we send? And uh, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And, and people, you know, take that and they apply it to evangelism. You know, here am I, send me, Lord, and you know, I'm ready to go out and preach the good news. But go back and read. He's, he's talking about, similarly, like, like, like here, he's talking about preaching woe. In fact, he tells Isaiah, they're not going to hear. They're not going to hear. And yet, because Isaiah has seen the glory of God, that's how he starts out the vision. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And His train filled the temple. The glory of God filled the temple. And Isaiah was was so affected by the reality of God's power and majesty and glory that he was ready to confront anybody and everybody with truth. With truth. Even if that truth was, judgment is coming. And even if all of the hearers were going to be obstinate, he was ready to do it. He was saying, Here am I. Send me. Right? Alright, so in Ezekiel, it's, the little book is referring to the Word of God. The Word of God. And in particular, again in verse, uh, verse 10, words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. And he said to me, Son of man... Eat whatever you find here. Isn't that interesting? That's the second time he said that. Eat whatever you find here. Look. Eat whatever you find here. Thomas Jefferson went through the Bible and cut, literally cut out parts he didn't like with, with a pair of scissors. I say literally, I mean literally. I, 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 one of my pet peeves is, is uh, you know, uh, overusing the word literally. <laughs> don't, don't say literally unless you literally mean it's, it's literal, okay? All right? People always say that. You know, literally it was raining cats and dogs. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> okay, enough of that. <laughs> but literally, Thomas Jefferson cut out the parts of the Bible he didn't like. Now, he just... We, we, in our men's class, we've been talking about the canon. In other words, uh, this, the Scripture, how the Scripture um, was put together and so forth. So he just came up with his own canon, with his own Scripture. And he's not the only one in history that's done that. There have been a lot of, a lot of folks that have, do that, that have done that. All right? Well, this is saying, you take whatever's there. That's what he's telling you. Don't be rebellious like this rebellious house. You eat whatever you find there. In other words, what the truth is, receive it. Receive it. Consume it. Digest it. And it may be sweet at first. I, I think it was Matthew Henry that said a lot. A lot of people like to talk about prophecy. They like to go to the book of Revelation. They find it sweet. Until, or unless, they get to really thinking about what's being conveyed there. I mean... The, the judgment that is coming. 
right? The tribulation. The tribulation that lies ahead for Christians. And then it gets bitter. Bitter to the stomach, right? And I don't even mean, don't, don't even... Um, I mean, some, for some people that means rejection. You know, you know Jesus said to, uh, to the Jews at one point, um, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, oh, that's, that saying's too hard for us. And a big crowd of them walked away. So for some people, it will mean rejection. I mean, when they, when they see the real picture, the lamentation, the woe, the mourning, they say, I don't need this. I don't, I don't even want to hear that. I'm going to go somewhere where I can find something more positive. But then there are Christians who love God. I mean, we, we do. We want to do exactly what he's saying here. Eat whatever we find there. But we, we can't help but find some of it to be bitter, can we? I mean, to illustrate that, listen, all you, all you got to do is, is picture yourself going through some kind of intense suffering, persecution. Read, read about some of the saints who have and see if you don't find that bitter to the taste. In the world you have tribulation. That's what Jesus said. But nevertheless, He says, eat it, eat it. Consume it, digest it, eat what you find there. And I'm still in chapter 3, verse 1, Ezekiel here. So I opened my mouth. This is verse 2. Well, let's, let's look at verse 1 again. He said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So do you see the imagery there? In other words, the scroll represents the Word of God. And He's telling... Ezekiel, to eat it and then go and speak. You see that? Eat, go, speak. Eat the scroll, go, speak. And you know, that's, that's certainly true of, of a preacher. In other words, you got to... Before you can preach something, certainly before you can preach it effectively anyway, you got to own it. you you got to eat it. you got to digest it. you got to chew on it. You know, like a cow chews the cud, right? And and uh, and just kind of just kind of park on it, and then you can go and speak it. But I think that's really true of every Christian too, in terms of just just uh, you know not not preaching a sermon. Everybody doesn't do that. But in terms of being gospel witnesses, we've got to be willing to take the truth and honestly receive it. Whatever we find there. I mean, we're going to find passages in here that make you want to shout hallelujah. (laughs) And we're going to find passages in here that we're going to be puzzled by. Or that we think, why did... Why does it say that? Why did Jesus say that? Why did He call the Syrophoenician woman a dog? You know, or or at least imply it, you know. Why did He do that? Take whatever you find there and eat it. Digest it. And Ezekiel goes on here in verse 3, and he says, or I'm sorry, verse, verse 1, Eat the scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So, Verse 2, So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, 
Feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Now do you see the, do you see the similarity there in, in the imagery in Ezekiel and in the imagery in, in uh, Revelation and the vision that John is seeing? So, I mean, this, this is where this is coming from. Now let's go back to Revelation chapter 10. So first, you've got a vision of glory. There's, there's the mighty angel. He's coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. And he's got the little scroll in his hand. He sets his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land, and he calls out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. Now, now think about that because John is right here seeing all these things, hearing all these things. So it's not, just a, it's not like it's just a cute way of, of, uh, of this, you know, some cute form of description here. But he's there, he's hearing that, so imagine a lion roaring. I mean, in other words, the picture is intimidating, it's powerful, it's loud. And John says, when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. You know what, I wanted to go through some passages on that. I'm not going to do it for the sake of time. Um, Let me see if I can give you a couple of references here, and if you want to to look at them... uh, you may want to do that. Um, because again, this is another way of, of speaking about the Word of God. Here's just a couple of references. Job 37, uh, verses 4 and 5. His voice, his voice roars. He thunders with, with a, His majestic voice. And He does not restrain the lightnings when His voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with His voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. Psalm 29, verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. Psalm 93, verse 4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. So it's another way of of communicating um, or describing the the Word of God, the voice of God, and, and communicating His power, right? So I think that's, that's the picture here as well. That's where, again, that's where this is coming from. So, so you've got uh, the, the, the sight of the mighty angel, and then his, his uh, voice is like a roaring, and then when he called out, seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, verse 4 says, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Um, I'd like to talk about that, but John didn't write it down. So, so, we're, uh, uh, <laughs> so, so we don't know what they said, okay? We don't know what the seven thunders said. Uh, something that wasn't intended to be communicated to us. Uh, verse 5, And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, listen to the description here, of God. Swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. So he, he presents God as being 
eternal. And again, this is central. This is what the Lord wants us to see in all of this. His majesty and glory. His power. And, and now it's communicated here in the form of His eternality. He's the one who, who lives forever and ever, right? The angel is swearing by Him who lives forever and ever. And He's the creator of all things. All things in heaven, all things on earth, all things in the sea. In other words, with all the chaos, with all of the, the plagues being poured out and all of the death and all of the persecution coming from the opposition to God and opposition to God's people, we are reminded again and again and again that God is in control of all things. He's the one and the only one who lives forever and ever and ever. And the only one who has created what is in heaven, what is on earth, and what is in the sea. He's the only one that can say, like he said to Job, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Now, how many people in class raised their hand that day and said, well, I was there, let me tell you about it? None. He's eternal. We are temporary. We are promised, as Christians, we are promised eternal life. But in our case, it has a beginning. There was a starting point. And then that's when we were born again, and then we live forever. We had a beginning when we were conceived in the womb. Before that, we did not exist, except in the mind of God. But we had no substantive existence. But God has no beginning and no end. Just try. Just try to wrap your mind around that. No beginning and no end. And the armies of the earth are standing up against Him. The psalmist says, why did the heathen rage? Right? Good question, because it's foolish. They've set themselves against the Lord and against His Christ. And we see that playing out in the book of Revelation. We're going to see more to come. We see that playing out in our own day where they set themselves in opposition. Even our own government is doing it now, setting themselves in opposition. And it's not for the first time, but, but, it's, but it's becoming more and more bold and blatant. Setting themselves against God and against His Christ. Why do they do that? And, and, and it's intimidating for us, isn't it? After all, we're just, you know, frail little old us and... And uh, we stand against the majority, whether it be the government or whether it just be other people out there in the world who outnumber us. So we need to know who's in control. Who is really orchestrating these things? And it's not the wizard behind the curtain that Toto exposes, right? No, it's God. The one who lives forever and Ever The one who made all things. Now, the angels swore, and what did he swear? Well, he swore that by, by the one who lives forever and ever, he swore that there would be no more delay. I know if you're looking at a, a King James Version, it says time no longer. And a lot of people have taken that to mean that there's going to come a point at the last day when time ceases to be. Um, I think I don't think that's correct. I don't think that's a correct view. And I think what is being said here, and, and this is this is um, uh, communicated um, in the ESV ver- uh, translation here, 
there will be no more delay. In other words, the, the last day, the angel is declaring, the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment, which ultimately means final judgment for those who oppose God and reward for those who belong to God. It has come. That's what the angel is saying. He swore there will be no more delay. It's here. Now think about that in context because just a a few chapters back you had the souls of those who were were martyred under the throne. And what were they doing? They were crying out, How long, Lord? How long until you avenge our blood? Well, here, here comes the answer. Now! There's no more delay. No more delay. Time is no longer. And then John is told to eat the book. Now we've, I think, dealt with this sufficiently in Ezekiel. Let me, let me just say that I think the same um, meaning um, is here as well. So look at verse 8 though. The voice I had heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And if, if we... If we apply the same interpretation of that that we did in Ezekiel. I think he's talking about the Word of God, God's message, and particularly this message of woe. Remember where we're at in context. We've had six of the seven trumpets sound, right? And the last seven are the three woes. Well, we've already talked about two of those. The fifth trumpet sounding and the sixth trumpet sounding, were the first two woes. Now, where we are in chapter 10, and a chunk of chapter 11 also, is an interlude, another interlude, between the sounding of the sixth trumpet and the sounding of the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet is sounded in chapter 11, verse 15. Look there real quick. You see that? Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, so on. All right, look back one verse in verse 14, chapter 11, verse 14. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. So what is about to happen is the third woe. The sounding of the final trumpet, which leads to the third woe. So, that, so the angel is saying, uh, time is no longer. In other words, there's no more delay. It's here. And then John is told to eat. The little book, which seems to me to represent this oracle of woe, judgment, impending judgment or imminent judgment. And so John says, when I, when I ate it, it was sweet as honey in my mouth, which the Word of God is, right? Sweeter than the honeycomb, psalmist says. And it made my stomach bitter. And I, I think... What's being communicated there is just the, the, the weight of it. Certainly the Word of God is sweet. But then there's also a heaviness, isn't there? Because judgment's real. And it's really coming. And this, this time of grace that we live in now really is coming to an end. There really is coming a point 
in which God will say, there's no more delay. The, the day of grace is over. The time for judgment is now. That day's really coming. That is weighty. That is heavy. That's part of the message that we have to carry as Christians. As Paul articulated in Athens, God has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by one man whom He has appointed. And He's given proof of that, Paul says, by raising Him from the dead. Jesus really came he really lived. He really died. He really rose from the dead. He really ascended to the right hand of the Father where He is now. And He's really coming back in fury to judge the world. To take vengeance. You want to carry that message? Can, can you say, can I say, can we say like Isaiah, Here, my Lord, Send me. I'll carry that. Now look, no doubt about it, we got some great news <laughs> to top it off with, don't we? Because we can tell people, repent! Repent! Believe on Christ and you'll be saved. Come to Christ. Trust Him. And you can be among the number of which Paul says, we are not appointed to wrath. So we've got great news to carry. But a part of that, along with that, is the reality of sin and the reality of judgment for it. Not an easy thing to, to proclaim. And finally, verse 11, And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So, see what's happening here with John is the same thing that happened with Ezekiel. Before Ezekiel could go preach the word, he had to get it in his own heart and mind. So he had he had to eat it and digest it. And before John could do the same, that's what he had to do symbolically, of course. I mean, but but. What it symbolizes here is you've got, to, you've got to take the truth of God as He gives it and receive it. So John is told similarly, eat this. Why? Because you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So before he could go preach it, he had to consume it. And brothers and sisters, it's the same for you and I. We're, we're called. We have this command. This command to take the gospel. But we can't proclaim something we don't believe. We're going to have a hard time exhorting other people to live by it if we don't live by it ourselves. And how can we correct them for cutting out the passages they don't like with their pair of scissors? If we're doing the same thing ourselves. Maybe we're cutting out different ones, you know. Eat it. Whatever you find there, whatever you find here, eat it. Consume it. 
This is our sustenance. This is God's means of preserving and sanctifying of the chain, the metamorphosis we were talking about in Sunday school. This, this is how it works by the power of the Spirit of God, by His Word. And in order for us to go proclaim, we must first eat. Remember, He told Ezekiel, Eat, go, speak. Get it in you, digest it, and then go and preach it. So it's a vision of the glory of God and a command to receive His truth and to proclaim His truth. Because these things, and we're just now getting into some of the heaviest parts of it, these things are really coming to pass. Hell is real. God is real. Christ is real. And He really is, literally I might add, the only way of salvation. Would you stand, please? If you can be with us this evening, come back at at 4 o'clock and we have the singing. Brother Freddie, would you mind praying for us and we'll be dismissed.